I want us to open the scriptures this evening in the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, so far, we've seen the Holy Spirit moving from the day of Pentecost, uh, working amongst uh, mostly Jewish communities, though uh, some others from different parts of the world were caught up in what God was doing at Pentecost, but they were all Jewish people in one degree or another. As we come to Acts chapter 10, we see the gospel going to the first full-blooded Gentile. This was a real crisis point in the church and a milestone in the history of the church when the gospel was being taken to people other than Jews. And uh, it's a story of Cornelius, the centurion. He was a good man. Let's read, first of all, it's not going to be showing up here, first of all. I I want to just give you the setting of the kind of man Cornelius was. Let me read from the beginning of chapter 10, just a, a couple of verses. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now, see how good he was. He and all his family were devout, God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Good man, wasn't he? One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants, he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now meanwhile, Peter gets a vision. Remember that vision? It was the vision of animals, unclean animals being let down from heaven. And Peter is shaken to his roots as God says, eat. He said, I don't eat anything unclean. But this was a mere preparation for actually meeting with unclean Gentiles. Well, let's pick up the reading now in verse 23. Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. 
Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all? You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now this is what I'd like to happen tonight. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Would you like that? The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. What a great story that is. May God bless our understanding and the application of that word to our lives tonight. Now here's the theme. What is Christianity to offer to good pagans? Now a pagan is someone, literally it means a village person, someone who hasn't yet received the good news of Jesus Christ. It can be in any nation, nationals from any land that has not heard the good news. What have we got to say to them? Especially when perhaps in their land there's another religion. It might be Islam. And there are some good Muslims who are moral and believe in their God Allah. Not the same as ours, but some people believe there's only one God and all lead in the same direction, or it might be a Hindu, might be a Buddhist. There are good people in all of these things, and all of these religions, you know, have something good to commend to the communities. That's why there are so many followers. What does Christianity have to offer to these good people? You notice how good Cornelius was. Here was a man who was religious. He prayed, and not only did he pray, God heard and sent an angelic visitation. How many here has had an angelic visitation in response to prayers? He gave gifts to the poor. He is called a religious man. What on earth does the gospel have to say to a Cornelius of today? Uh, why have I got those two pictures here? Let's stay with those two pictures for a moment. Mahatma Gandhi, he changed India. He not only led them 
into freedom from uh, the British Empire. He set many people free. And you know, he actually said that he based his teachings on the teachings of Jesus. But was he a Christian? No, he was not. Did you know that having come to the University of London to study, he actually asked if he could stay with an evangelical family because at that time, as a student, he dared to believe that Christianity may be the one true religion. And he lived for six months with an evangelical family. You may have heard me tell this story before. But after six months of living with an evangelical family, they did not convince him by their lives that this was the truth. And from there on, although he based his teachings on Jesus Christ, he did not believe that Christianity was the one true religion. He believed that there were many ways to God. You cannot doubt that he was a good man. He was in many ways a religious man. But any religion would do. What have we got to say to a man? Nelson Mandela. He led the people of South Africa, the black people, into freedom, hallelujah. Remember the joy when he came out of prison after all those years. The joy that he brought and the freedom that he's brought. South Africa is a different place now. He went to church from time to time. But was he a Christian? He believed that all the religions had something to say and ultimately all the religions would lead to God. What do we have to say to such people? Well, I want to tell you tonight. We got two things. We got a distinctive message and we got the dynamic means to share that message that no other religion has to offer. That's why we should be a missionary people. But let me just put this story in its context first. Now you can change the slide. The story of Cornelius, the conversion of Cornelius, is important for a number of reasons. Let me mention two ways by way of introduction. First of all, it marks the development of Christianity from a Jewish sect to a worldwide faith that was going to embrace people. And thank God, the gospel has now been preached in every nation in the world. 208 countries, the gospel is preached in all of them. That's a sign of the end, by the way. When this happens, Jesus said, you'll know, I'm coming. You'd better be ready. Jesus is coming again. That sign has been fulfilled. I'm looking every day. I look out of my... Tonight, when I pull the blinds down in our... Bedroom, I will look to the clouds and dark there may be at this time. I'll say, Lord, is it tonight that you're going to break through the clouds? In the morning, when I lift the blinds, when I'm dressed, I'll ask, Lord, is it today? We have to live in the expectation because the gospel has been preached in every land. That's the first reason this story is important. But secondly, it marks the opening of the mind of the church to embrace non-Jews. There'd been a clear progression in the development of Christianity Jesus was clear the kingdom was to begin with the Jews, but not to end with them. Remember in John chapter 4, he had to go through Samaria. He didn't, other than by the providence of God, because he wanted to meet that Samaritan woman. The Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans, but Jesus did. He was showing a new pathway 
Then on the day of Pentecost, those proselyte Jews from all over the world had come and were part of that great experience. But now Cornelius was the first full-blooded Gentile that had no Jewish background. He was a Roman centurion. And this led to the church of Gentiles, the church at Antioch. Remember, we read that Christians were first called Christians at Antioch, a church formed after the conversion of Cornelius. It was a Gentile-believing church. Hallelujah. And from Antioch, the gospel went across the world, into Europe. Thank God the gospel came to Europe. Otherwise, where would we be? It's not too much to say that the conversion of Cornelius was a crisis period in the history of the church. And I I want to tell you this. The Jewish Christians didn't like the idea. I should have read all of chapter 11. Let me ask you, go home sometime this week, read chapter 11. Because Peter is summoned back to Jerusalem. And you know the question that the elders wanted to ask? Why did you go to a Gentile's house? It was a racist question. They didn't like the idea of the gospel going to Gentiles. I mean, most of us are Gentiles, I guess. Thank God that they had their eyes opened. God pushed him into it. Peter had that vision because he was being prepared to see the Gentiles not as unclean, but as part of the purposes in God's providence. Here's a picture for you to look at. William Carey. Do you remember when he and Andrew Fuller had that call to go to India? William Carey was the first modern missionary. And they thought, being good Baptists, they ought to go to the association and ask for their support. This is what one of the leading lights in the association, Nottingham, said. Sit down, young man. When it pleases the Lord to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. They'd stop being a missionary people. Do you know the church in the first 300 years grew from 120 to 21 million people? How? By the church being a missionary church believing this gospel and in the power of the Spirit, they went from people to people, nation to nation, until it reached 21 million people. It stopped at the beginning of the 4th century. You know when? Emperor Constantine was converted. And some people said, what a wonderful thing that is. An emperor has been converted. The persecution will stop as it did. And overnight... He declared the Roman Empire to be the Roman Catholic Empire. And from being a missionary people, we became a church with buildings and money. And the missionary heart went out. And from that period, the level of Christianity right up until the 18th century, so the modern missionary movement The church didn't grow at all. The light was only kept alive by faithful monks. 
and they were often persecuted. That's the only missionary movement that we had until the modern missionary movement. Oh, thank God for the Reformation that came before that. When the Roman Church became a missionary movement again through the Reformers. Let me tell you, we have forgotten what it is to be a missionary people. Do you know there's still a bit of Rome about even this church? What do I mean? We're proud of our buildings. We're proud of our symbols. But we've stopped being a missionary people. Oh, I know that there are missionary people. But the missionary people of the New Testament were the ordinary members that went out and shared their faith. And we stopped doing that, haven't we? You might disagree. Let's look at this story that's before us. To begin with, we, we looked at the beginning of the story of Cornelius by looking at the kind of man he was. A God-fearing, devout, disciplined, religious man. A man of prayer. What is more, God heard his prayer. This pagan had a revelation from God. Hallelujah. That such is the grace of God. That God is no respecter of nationality or colour. And Peter concludes in verse 34 of our reading, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism. Now what is the evangelical view, the Christian view of such religious people? Do we all worship the same God? Or do these good, religious, praying people need saving? Turn over in the page, if you're following, in chapter 11. This is the message that Cornelius got in verse 13 and 14. This is what the angel said. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all of your household will be saved. Have you got it? Cornelius was a religious man. He was a praying man. He was a generous man. But he was lost. And he needed a saviour. You see, there is a body of truth that Christianity embraces. But it's a truth for everyone. But what does our faith have to offer that is different from all the other religions of the world? And this doesn't go down well with the establishment, let me tell you. These are the two things. It's a distinctive message that saves. And the dynamic means by which believers are sanctified and brought into the family of God. In 1996-1997, I'm not boasting, I remember what I preached this morning, I was president of the Baptist Union of Great Britain. And that opened many opportunities. I was president in 1996, uh, might have told you this, uh, at the bicentenary celebration of the British Army in Westminster Abbey. And um, I was absolutely amazed. Uh, George Carey was the archbishop and I was asked to preach. I, I was asked to do the prayers. He preached. I was asked to do the prayers. And uh, there were other religious leaders present from all the faiths, but it was a Christian act of worship and the gospel was preached. And I prayed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
By the way, it was that night, that day in Westminster Abbey, I, I stood and there was this chaplain carrying their charter into Westminster. And I looked, I thought, I know you. You know who the chaplain was? It was Jonathan Woodhouse. Alan Ann will remember him well. Saved in 1971 in that mission that I was referring to. As a result of that, I met the Queen three times, you know, that year. My grandchildren are well pleased with that, you know. My bampies met the Queen three times, they love to tell their friends. But I could have met her on a fourth occasion because uh, I had a telephone call from Buckingham Palace. It was a colonel, someone. And he said, oh, oh Reverend James, he said, um, we'd like you to represent the Baptists in a, a multi-faith service at Buckingham Palace. It's being organized by Prince Charles. And uh, it's about time that all you faiths got together. There's only one God anyway. And we'd like you to be present and we'd like you to do the prayers again. You did so well. So I said, who else is taking part? And all the religions now were taking part and they were all going to be doing prayers to their God. And I said, well, I'm very sorry. I can't come. And I refused to be in attendance. Well, he read the riot act. The Queen will not be pleased to hear you. Why do you say that? So I told him. I've not been invited back. <laughs> Christianity has a unique message. And it has a dynamic means whereby we convey it. This makes Christianity very distinctive and dynamic. And we need to understand it. So let's look at this message, this distinctive message that saves. And you'll see it in what Peter preached in verses 24 through to 40. It is that Jesus Christ is God. He's not just divine. There's a difference between divinity and deity. Do you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is a God. They ascribe to him divinity. But they do not ascribe to him deity, that he is the God. And there is a world difference. Yet the Bible says, the word became flesh. The Logos. In the beginning was the word, the Logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus is no one less than God becoming a human being. God came and dwelt amongst us. That's what Peter preached. That Jesus came as saviour. He died upon the cross. But the grave couldn't hold him. On the third day he rose again. Christianity is unique because of Jesus Christ. He is the only saviour. He is the only mediator. There is one man in the heavens who is able to intercede for us. And his name is Jesus. And religious men and women, no matter how wonderful they are, no matter how many good aspects there may be about the religion in which they have been brought up and which they embrace may be, they need saving. And only Jesus can save. But do you believe this? Unless we believe, you see, this distinctive message, we're not a Christian church. We have something to say, a message to communicate that is the means of people being saved. We saw that in... Acts 11 and verse 14. Cornelius needed saving, so Peter preached the message. 
He preached that Jesus was born. He ministered. He died and he rose again. He preached forgiveness by his death, justification by his resurrection, that he was Lord of all. And Cornelius got the message. And Cornelius and all of his household were saved. Hallelujah. But you know, there is a movement in our churches. There are a group of evangelicals now that are calling themselves liberal evangelicals. It is a contradiction in terms. They want to say, yes, Christianity is special, but it's not unique. That there are other ways. And we need to recognize it's a lie. Let me ask you some questions. Do you believe in the historic Christ? Do you believe that he's the only Lord? Do you believe that he's the only mediator? The only one that can bridge the chasm between us and a holy God? Do you believe that he's the only way? He's the only sacrifice that atones for sin. He's the way, the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the Bible says yes to all of these questions. Now, if Christ is not deity... Our faith is pathetic. Our ministry is redundant. If Christianity is not unique, we have no ground for mission. And we might as well close the doors of our churches now. But you know what I'm going to say. But Christ was and is unique. He is the only saviour. And it is the message that we preach that leads to men and women being saved. Hallelujah. Now that's the distinctive message that saves. And it's the truth of the Christian faith. But Christianity is so much more than a message. The message has to be told. But it has to be told in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why what we need on the church today is a fresh anointing on all the believers. Not just a fresh anointing on the pulpit. We need that. But we need a fresh anointing on all believers that we might once again become a missionary people going out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why have I got the picture of the Venus de Milo? (laughs) Isn't she beautiful? But she's got no arms. If Christianity is just a beautiful message... It's no better than the Venus de Milo. It's beautiful but armless. But we've got arms. We've been given strength in the person and the power, the gifts and the graces of the Holy Spirit that reaches down to men and women in their lost state and lifts them up by the grace of God. It's that means, that dynamic means that sacrifice that I want to look at secondly. You see, I mentioned as I read through it, and I, oh, it, I, I, I've never known it in this land that while I was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell and the meeting was interrupted. I, I, I've seen it overseas when revival came. When God spoke a prophetic word and the people believed that God was there to heal and he brought the worst case out. And I, I couldn't finish the message. <laughs> Because everyone in that place was healed. Oh God, send down your Holy Spirit that convicts, that converts, that clothes with power, that heals and makes whole. 
But notice what I'm saying. It's a means that sanctifies. To make holy. To set us apart as this. Just as Christ is unique. So the church of Jesus Christ is a unique and distinct body. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, Christianity is more than the expressions of the power of the Holy Spirit. In those verses at the end of that chapter, we read that the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke in tongues. Now, you know, I, I, I probably speak in tongues more than all of you. I speak in tongues every day. I thank God for that gift of his Holy Spirit. But Christianity is more than the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Cornelius was a, a moral and ethical man. We read that in the passage tonight. But Christianity, although full of morals and ethics, that's what the Beatitudes, these uh, beautiful attitudes as I call them. You call them Beatitudes by all means. And I'll never forget your humble bee. That's from the children's talk this morning. But Christianity is more than these moral values. Christianity is more than prayer. You're a praying church and I thank God for the answers to prayer you see. Cornelius prayed and the angels came in response to his prayers. But Christianity is more than all of that. What is involved then? What is distinct about the coming of the Holy Spirit? Well, the coming of the Holy Spirit was to bring power for the people of God to live. The fruits and the evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is the production of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and humility and self-control. And to know these qualities beyond the level that no unredeemed person can ever know. The coming of the Holy Spirit into a person's life is to transform us. Transform both our character and our temperament. That where we're gripped by a negative self-image or an over-inflated ego, by the power of the Spirit we see ourselves in true perspective. And our characters and our temperaments need to be transformed. It's the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives to do that transforming work. Hallelujah. Have you been born again? Have you begun to see the evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, changing you. But if you're not being changed, if you're not being transformed, then we have to question whether or not indeed you received him in all of his glorious power. Holy Spirit was brought to sanctify, to make us holy, power to live. But he also brought them into a new dimension of spiritual experience. You see, they not only displayed this change of character, but they did come into the gifts. Cornelius did speak in tongues. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit have never been withdrawn. Did you know that St. David, one of those monks I talked about, that kept the gospel alive during those dark Middle Ages, did you know that St. David spoke in tongues? St. David not only spoke in tongues, he encouraged all of the believers in that day to be filled with the Spirit and to use the gifts and the graces of God. That's our St. David. Celebrate that on the 1st of March. He was a really anointed monk that transformed Wales in his day. You see, the Holy Spirit brings graces that change our temperament and our 
character, but he also gives us supernatural gifts, without which we cannot do supernatural deeds. These were authentic experiences of God, and they've never been withdrawn from the church, and we need the graces and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this 21st century. Say amen if you agree. But also, and finally, the coming of the Holy Spirit brought deliverance from evil spirits. You read the Gospels, and you see Jesus confronted evil in all of its forms. And where the demonic was present, he confronted it, and he was never defeated. And the Acts of the Apostles, when they came under this anointing of the Holy Spirit, they met the same demonic opposition, and they overcame it all. Now, you might say, listen, I... I know the demonic is real. But they know my voice when I speak in the name of Jesus. And I hope that none of you ever know the experience of meeting the demonic. Because if you keep yourself within the limits of God's word, you need never be afraid of them. And you know, I believe there is enough evil in the human nature without facing the demonic that we need to address in the churches of Jesus Christ today. There are people that are gripped by all kinds of addictions and habits. Jesus Christ can set them free. You know that, don't you? Some of you have seen such people being set free. There is nothing, there is no evil There is no habit that Jesus cannot set people free from. That's why the Holy Spirit was given. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it in all of its fullness. Hallelujah. That is the gospel. This story of Cornelius, you know, is an invitation for us all to share in this life in the Spirit. We have a distinctive message and we have this dynamic means that sanctifies, that makes God's people a holy people, that makes us a missionary people too. This is a call for you tonight to accept the invitation to embrace this message and to go and share it, but not in your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit that makes it work. And if you are up for it, I challenge you this week to look for an opportunity to give away your faith. Are you up for sharing your faith with someone this week? I want to pray before the meeting's through that you will have an opportunity this week to share your faith with someone. And I pray that you might recognize the opportunity when it's presented and you'll seize it. And you'll see the amazing thing that God does through you. Are you up for that? Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray that you might grip everyone here tonight with the truth that this message that you've given us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has the power to transform lives. And where you've worked that work of miracle of grace in our lives, I pray, O God, that you will give us a burden to actually share that with other people, but not in our own strength, for without you we can do nothing but in the power of your spirit. Lord, come upon these people 
and grant them all our holy anointing. Here and now, as we reach out to you in faith, come and touch us again with your Holy Spirit. Fill me, Jesus. Make it your prayer. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me now. Fill me, Jesus, with your blessed holy power. I'm yours, O Lord, to do with as you will, so fill me, Jesus, right now. And by faith, Lord, we receive that fullness. And I pray, O God, that for everyone that's up for it this evening, that you'll bring us into contact with people, perhaps people in our family, or our neighbours, or our work colleagues, or people that we study with. And that by circumstances and by way of invitation, as they ask us to give the reason for the hope that we have, that we'll recognize the opportunities and seize them with your help. Help us all this week to give away something of what you've done for us. And will you add to this church, Lord, those people that should be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.